Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Because of yourself, why have you got all of these issues? Because there is issues with your self. And so as we were studying Christian counseling, the highest form of enlightenment isn't self-enlightenment, is actually God-enlightenment is actually realizing that I have been created in the image of God. And because I've been created in the image of God, that is where I get my identity from. That is where I get my purpose from. That is how I function. That's how I behave. That's how I choose. That's where my values come from. That is the importance of this whole idea of the Imago Day. If you want to know where it comes from, it comes from Genesis chapter 1. It says that when God created a male and female, He created them in His image. And what we know is that in chapter 3 of Genesis, there was the fall, sin came in. And from that point on, the image of God that we are meant to carry has been corrupted and broken, right? And so goes the whole story of the Bible where God brings redemption and restoration in. Fantastic um, aspect of God, that, that, that He actually wants to bring us to a place of restoration and wholeness. That is a place where we are once again carrying the Imago Day, And that is the whole point. This series is just hitting up some issues and some things um, that help us to understand the image of God that we carry. And today I'm going to be teaching you about the Behold Principle. Behold Principle. This is a principle that I found at work in my life. It's... it's, it's Hopefully, as I unpack it, you will see that it is a biblical principle. It's something that is just in action in our lives. And it comes from verse 18, which we're going to be focusing on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which we've read. And it says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, this is the NIV version that I read to you. The ESV version, which I also do like, um, is, is just different wording. It says, instead of contemplate, it uses the word behold. So it says this, and we all who with unveiled faces behold the Lord's glory. So if you take this whole thing, like what we had just a moment ago was a moment of beholding. And Marcy held us in that moment just so that we could experience God, so that we could encounter God, we could feel God, and we could enjoy God. That was a moment of beholding. And so this passage tells us that when we have this unveiled face and we behold the Lord's glory, we are being changed into His image with ever-increasing glory. That's pretty fantastic all by itself. But as I dived into the word behold in this passage, I found out that the Greek word that Paul used was the only time this word was used in the whole Bible. Paul used a very specific, in fact, I don't know, but it says that back then in the Greek, they would take concepts and push them together and form new words. And that's how Greek would often express ideas, new ideas. They would take these uh, concepts that were already written down and they would push those words together to form something new. And that's what I think Paul did with this word behold. And the word behold that he uses in the Greek is actually translated in the original word picture is to look at oneself in the mirror. 
to look at oneself in the mirror. So, I really hope this easel can hold his mirror. This is a mirror, in case you did not know. It is a reflective surface. Stay, please. Is that light shining in anyone's eyes? Fantastic, we'll leave it. So this is a mirror, right? What do I do with a mirror? I stand in front of it. I see if there's anything in my teeth, in my face, in my, anything in my face, pimples, they are in my face. And I clean it up. I, I do something about it so that I am presentable. I am finding myself in this. Paul uses the Greek that explains looking at yourself in the mirror, squashes it together so that we have this word behold. Let's read that again. So we all with unveiled faces looking into a mirror to see one's self and instead we find the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image. What in the world is going on? What is going on is the behold principle. You see, when we come in front of God, when we soak in His presence, when we are seeking after His glory, His glory becomes like a mirror that shows us who we truly are. And it shows us, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, it shows us His image that we have been created with. The whole principle is that when we look into a mirror, we become more like the image that we see. And what we are doing when we are worshiping God, when we are in His presence, when His glory is filled, come on, you guys should be a lot more excited than this because this is revolutionary. So many of us are trying to find out what we're meant to be doing in our lives. So many of us are trying to find a call of God, some meaning and purpose to attach our existence to. And what do we need to do? We need to behold the Lord's glory. And when we are in His presence, His image is being reflected in us because we we have been created in His image. And so when we look into a mirror, we should be seeing His image that He has imprinted into us. Do you know that in the Psalms, it writes, one of my favorite verses, it says that for you, God has formed me in my mother's womb. And it says, you have fearfully and wonderfully created me. And, and this is David, the psalmist saying, you have fearfully and wonderfully created me. What does that mean? What does it mean when God fearfully created me? It says fearfully, and often we think that God was really scared. It's like, oh, you fragile, tiny, little human being. Let me attach your arm. Oh, missed. It went into your hip. Oh, was God that fearful? And some people are imagining that picture. Was God that fear? No, 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 the word fearful actually means in awe of. When it says that we are meant to fear God, it doesn't say we're meant to be scared of God, but we see His majesty. We see His power. And of course, it's like God will afford the most powerful king in the whole earth. There is a certain level of fear, but it's also more awe than being scared. And we know that God is love and He wants us in His presence, but there's still that sense that God is powerful. And it's that same word that God uses, and that, that, put, that, that David used and said, God fearfully in awe of me as he was creating me. That should blow your mind. 
It should blow your mind that God was in awe of you when he created you. Now, why? Because he created you in his image. He created us with his beauty, with his majesty, with his power, with his authority. That's what he wanted us to carry. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not saying that we are gods. I'm not saying that we should be going around building temples to ourselves. But what I'm saying is that that is how God has created us. In the same way like a father has a child and the child is in his likeness. A lot of people tell me that I look like my dad. A lot of people are nodding. I still don't know. I look at it and I'm like, maybe it's just the moustache. You know how Clark Kent has glasses and he's like, who are you? I think dad has a moustache and I'm like, well, it's not Nate anymore. That's how I think of it anyway. But I've been created as a spitting image of my dad, apparently. And, and in the same way, I carry his name. I carry his mannerisms. I carry so much of my dad. That's the same way that God created you. We are carrying something immensely powerful, valuable inside of us. When we understand that we've been created in God's image, that gives us a sense of security. And that's what it's all meant to be about. But because sin has come in, we no longer are carrying that image as well as we should. And so what we need to do is that we need to come back into God's presence, behold God, so that we can see how we have been created and designed to be, and we become transformed with ever increasing glory it's a process it's not straight away but it takes place now i want to talk to you about the process of beholding this beholding principle is is amazing but what does it actually look like how does it actually work you see i i used to love that and say okay so that means that i just sit in god's presence so i'll just put on um, some worship music in my room and i'm like well that's kind of what it is and and so yep do your thing, God, and, and work it out in me, and I will become more like you. And I, it didn't really work. You know, simply putting on Hillsong in your car does not make you more holy. All right? Getting rid of all your One Direction posters in your room does not make you more holy. You can have them up. It does not show you the wrong reflection. Or maybe it does, but you work it out. But what I started to see is that there is a three-step process in beholding. And um, that's what I want to bring to you this morning, the three steps of beholding. The first step is that we behold to bond, B-O-N-D, to bond, not James Bond, but to attach to. Romans 1, 25 to 26 says this, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Now, I used to read this passage and I used to think this is a little bit strange that God, what, what, what was taking place here? Is Paul saying that God saw that these people were serving other things and worshipping other idols uh, and, and he just simply went, you know what, because you guys are all terrible, I'm going to give you this extra lust that, that you would, you know, be, be doing that. Do you think that is what's going on? 
what I think was at play is the beholding principle. You see, because these people had stopped going to the mirror of God, they stopped trying to find themselves in this image, in this place, and they started looking somewhere else. And because they started looking something else, they were beholding a different image. And because they were beholding a different image, a different desire was stirred up inside of them. Does that make sense? So when we are beholding this image, we become more desiring of this image. But when we go away from the image that God has created us to behold, and we start beholding another image, we start to have different desires that attach to different things. So the first step of beholding is to behold, to bond, is to attach to, is to find meaning within. And this can work in the negative as well, I have found this. When God says that I have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that I have been made with the awe of God, that, that He actually says you are beautiful, that you have been put together amazingly, perfectly. But then I've got some stuff in my childhood where there was that idiot friend that I used to think that was the best thing since sliced bread. I don't know if friends can be bread, but anyway. And that friend said that your nose is too big. And we bond to that. We behold that statement. And we hold on to that statement. God says, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Friend says, you have a nose that is too big for your face. I've known so many people that would rather behold this statement. That were bond to and attach meaning attach their identity, trying to find themselves within this statement. Oh, my nose is too big. If I make it a bit smaller, then maybe I will be okay. Or maybe I'll grow a fringe across my face so that no one can see my nose. And then maybe I'll be okay. Why do we do that? Because we have been beholding this thing. Now, that's a bit of a fun, jokey type one. Although some people really carry some wounds from things that have been said. But what about that teacher that said that you're not smart enough? What about that teacher that said that you will never amount to anything? What about that parent that said that you're a disappointment? The more we live in a space where we are beholding these statements and these images that people have painted for us, the more we gain our identity from it, the more we bond to the statement and the more we find meaning and we attach it to ourselves. And that is why it's so dangerous nowadays that we have a mirror that is in our phones that we can go and we can go onto Instagram like I can right now, and I'm probably going to be finding because I'm a Christian pastor and I follow about 15 million churches because that's what I do. And I'm looking at, oh my gosh, there were 5,000 people in that room and they were stacked on top of each other because they were so desirous of God's presence. I must be a bad pastor. You know, we go to YouTube and we watch these makeup videos. I don't. <laughs> I know people that do. And they tell you to pose in this way. And if you put that pose in, your leg suddenly looks like it's twice. Long. I don't understand that. Are you out of proportion? Is there something wrong with your leg? Why does your leg need to be longer? Or maybe you've got a little bit more booge on one side. I just made that word up. It's our word, Dick and I. We just 
Mate, our cat is bougie. It's squishy. That's what it means, sorry, it just came out. You know, we, we see YouTube to find me in it. And we try to find meaning attached to all of these places. And we become more desirous of certain images. We become more desirous of certain things that the world has put forward because we've attached meaning to it. We have bonded to this image. That is step one of the beholding process. What are you beholding that you've become bonded to? Success, that's another one. What picture of success have you behold, beheld? What picture of success have you held up in front of yourself that you become desirous of? That relationship, that grade, that promotion, that job, that relationship, friendship circle, that affirmation, that what is it that is your picture of success? That is a very dangerous one, and that's a very powerful one. Because when we bond to these images, we begin to desire it. What happens when we desire it? The second step, we behold to serve. See, in, Jesus said these words in Matthew 6, to 24. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And he very quickly just continues to say, in fact, this was the original intention of what Jesus was trying to say. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How did Jesus transition from saying the eye is the lamp of the body, what you behold is what you become, and then he says no one can serve two masters. Because when we bond to something, we begin to serve it. When we bond to something, we begin to serve it. In a positive way, last year when God asked me to be Robin's second dad, there was a bonding that took place. She became my daughter, and when I was bonded to Robin, I wanted to serve her. This is a natural thing of parenthood. I love getting around young new parents. I saw, uh, it was really interesting, I met an old high school friend yesterday, and he's got like a five-month-old little girl. She, they're both from Hong Kong, and, 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 and she's got a whole bunch of hair, but they literally just stand up. She's like one of those troll dolls but a very beautiful little troll doll. And her hair was literally all just up. It was amazing. And he was telling me that when he saw this little girl, the first few weeks was absolute hell where he, there was no sleep. There was no sleep, I said. But I lived for the moments where it felt like she looked at me and she was like saying that I'm her hero. I'm like, this little tiny baby troll thing looked at him and he was like he was reading into this why there was a bonding that took place and so he was willing to wake up every hour of the night in order to serve this child but that's what we do when we begin to bond to the image of who god has called us to be we begin to serve that image we do we will make time to be in those places to become that person that God has showed us that he's designed us to be.
We will get to church, even though it's a long weekend, so that we can get into God's presence. We can hear an amazing Asian pastor preach. We can get that truth into ourselves so that we can grow and become. We will serve. We will get here at 8.15 in the morning, drag stuff out of a room so that we can have this space for people to encounter God. We will give up our lives, give up better pay, give up our, our time and resource to be able to get around the way that God has called us to because we desire that image that God has created us to be. And we will serve that image. But in the very same way, if we've got a false image that we are bonded to, we will serve that. And that's why Paul, uh, Jesus was saying that you, your eyes are the lamp to your soul. And he brings up one of the most dangerous images, that of money. We see what money does. We see that it buys stuff. It buys maybe even friendships and people around you. It buys all of these things. And, 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 and we can start off saying, hey, I would like to get more money so I can do cool stuff. But after some time, we end up serving money instead of money serving us. Because we become so desirous of that thing that it becomes our master. I know young people. Actually, this guy wasn't too young. Not like, like he was a dad now, and, and, and he was um, in a place where he had a family, and, and his original intention was to get money in order to ensure that his family would have enough stuff. But after a while, that stuff became expensive stuff. He said, I need a car for my family. But it wasn't just an Echo, it wasn't a Jazz. No, it needs to be a five-star safety rated. And then it needs to have a V8 engine for some reason. And then it needs to be in fire engine red because that's what my family needs. And so I will give up every weekend of my time working because I need to get that in order for my family to feel safe. He started off with the right intention. Started off in the right place, but after a while, because he kept beholding this image, if I'm a good dad, I provide for my family. If I'm a good dad, I provide safety for my family. But somehow things got corrupted and weird and he started to serve the wrong image. And so he no longer got into God's presence because money was more important. Ask yourself this, what have you become so desirous of that you've begun to serve? I'm worried that in this generation, that we've started to serve a lot of things that give us no meaning. We started to serve grades and acceptance and affirmation that don't give us our identity. I love the fact that my family moved from Australia to Perth. A big part of it is that I gained two, what did I say? Singapore to Perth. Part of what happened in that transition is that I actually went two years ahead of all of the rest of my peers in terms of education. It was like a time warp. I was like, whoa, I went back in time. It's like, you're learning addition again, guys? No, I'm joking. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> but I came to Australia, and suddenly it was a lot easier for me because in Singapore, you get, you get drilled hard on some of this stuff. 
But when I got to relax, because in Singapore, I was like in that hamster wheel, just like, I need to get those grades. I need to get those grades. I need to get those grades. Do you know that kids are committing suicide because they're not getting grades? That's actually literally happening in Singapore. I hope the Singapore government doesn't hear this. And I came to Australia, and it was like I stepped out of the hamster wheel, and I was like, why the heck was I running so hard? Why? Why do I need that? I looked at what I needed to get in order to get into uni, and I was like, they just want me to pass. Why am I working my butt off? Now, I'm not saying don't work hard, but what I'm saying is that I realized that when I finished year 12, and my whole goal was to get into uni, I got into uni, right? And then my whole goal in uni, or the whole goal that some people say about uni is to ensure that you pass uni, and I did. And then what? And then what? What do those grades give me? Did those grades give me an extra 20K in my pay packet? No, I needed to find a job. But all of those things didn't really prepare me to find a job because I was so concerned about getting the grade rather than living. I had put that thing in front of my face that if I get that grade, I'll become all that I need to be. No, that's not how it works. We need to be shaped and molding on the inside. Do you know that more and more studies are showing that schools are not teaching you what you need to learn? Most of the stuff that schools are teaching you, robots will be doing in 10 years. The skills that schools are not teaching you about emotional intelligence, about how to relate to people, how to lead, how to manage yourself, that's not in the school curriculum. Parents, we need to do that. Church, we need to do that. Why? Because that's preparing people to be human beings that flourish and understand who they've been called to be. If this is becoming a bit political for you, I apologize. That's not my intention, but my intention is to show you what are we serving? What do we think that when I get there, I will have what I need? Because when I've done that, I've always found disappointment. When I serve that image, I have always found myself lacking. When I serve that image, I have found myself with a deep sense of emptiness on the inside because I've been giving and giving and there's nothing that's been put back in. But when I stare into the image that God has created me to be in, when I behold with unveiled face who God is and He shows me who I am, something begins to change on the inside because God doesn't start from a place of you get there and then you will. He starts from a place you already are and therefore you will. He starts from a place of you already are accepted, therefore you go out and love other people. It doesn't start from a place of you love other people so that you get acceptance. That is the topsy-turvy, upside-down image that the world gives us. And when we come to God, it's freeing, it's liberating because when we first see God and He says, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me tell you, when I first saw that image, I was like, nah, you do not know me. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the brokenness that is on the inside. You don't know how many times I've failed. And you don't know what it's like. And God says, yes, I do. I've seen you. I, Pastor Beck spoke about this last week. God even counts the number of hairs on your head. He knows every intimate detail of you. And still in the Word, when we read the Word, it says that you are loved, you are accepted, you are valuable, you are worthy. I want to live from that image. I want to serve that image. I want to become that image. Because it is liberating, it is freeing, and it's truthful. I was reading, like God just put this on my heart last night. 
put it last minute, it's not on the screens, but James 1, to 24 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. The problem is that when we learn how to behold and desire, we actually need to serve. We actually need to do things in alignment with this image. If not, we are just like, oh, that beautiful picture of who I could be. That's nice. Okay, Facebook, tell me more about me. Tell me all about my lacks and my flaws. We go back to that place, oh yeah, let me just replay that tape when I was five years old and that teacher told me that I was an idiot. Why do we do things like that? Because we serve the thing that we're really beholding, the thing that we've grown to desire. After you've beheld to bond and you've beheld to serve, you finally behold to become. That's the final step. And that, are, that is our 2 Corinthians 3.18 passage. And we all who with unveiled faces beholding the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. Our original design. My question for you this morning is what are you beholding? Because this beholding principle is at work all times. This beholding principle is not something you switch on or you switch off. It is like gravity. It's there. You can try to break it, and then it will break you. It's there. The beholding principle is at work at all times in our lives. Why? Because it is God's design for us. He's given us eyes to see. So what are you seeing? Are you turning to him and trying to understand the image that he has built you with? Or are you looking elsewhere at other images and other pictures? God doesn't take away your will. He allows you to choose. And that's why this morning I'm bringing this message because there are people in this room that need to choose. They need to choose whether they're serving that image or they're serving that image. How do you choose? You behold. You stare at it. Understand it. You create space for it. And then when you begin to get a sense of what it is, you begin to serve it. So when I was 18, I did a year of Bible college and I served in, um, I didn't really know what I was doing it. I, I knew what I was doing it for. I was doing it to put off my national service for a year. Let's be honest. It wasn't a very holy ambition. It was just, I don't want to be younger than everyone else. And so I did a year of Bible college. And in that space, God showed me, this is what I created you for. At 18, he showed me that the church is who I will be working for. That's not everyone's call. 
That was my call. And the more I leaned into it, the more I was like, okay, what does this mean? How do I do it? Look, the, the path of becoming a pastor is not straightforward. You don't just go study and then you find someone to apply. You put a very nice resume together and go, yep, all right, here we go. You don't do it like that. Especially in the, the kind of churches that we're in, if you want to be a pastor, you serve your butt off. And so when I got back from my national service, I joined up with... Um, who was my youth pastor that became a church planter, Pastor Joel, and I served my butt off. I made sure I was on every roster I could find. I made sure that I was in every team that I knew I had something to give. Sometimes I didn't even really know what I had to give, but I would give anyway. And I served, and I served, and I served. And the more I served, the more I fell in love. Yes, there were moments where I fell out of love with the church. Yes, there were times that was difficult, but at every time that that happened, I would come back to this image. And I was like, that's what gave me definition and clarity. And so I'm coming back to it. And so I continued to serve. I got put on staff one day a week. My official title was pastoral care admin. What did that mean? They just wanted to pay me so that I wouldn't go to another church. It just meant that I did everything that Pastor Joel wanted me to do. And I did it with joy. Be glad most of the time. All right, 60% of the time. <laughs> did a lot of things I didn't really like. I continued to serve. Because as I continued to serve, I was becoming. I stand here today, many people say a young pastor, because I beheld, I bonded to, I served, and I am becoming. When I stepped into this role as a senior pastor, I thought I had made it. And then I found out that I hadn't. I continued continue to go back to God. And he showed, and he showed me that there was more. And then I began to do the whole, the whole, run to what God has given me to do. I became a state exemplar as I last year. And apparently it sounds pretty flashy. flashy. And I'm like, what does it mean? You serve the state. You call people that do not want to be called. One of my favorite jobs. Oh, it's you. No, there's other fun stuff. There's a service. But I serve. And I'm becoming. What are you bonding to? Because no matter what you say that you're bonding, if you say, no, 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 I haven't beheld anything. No, no, you have. You already have. Some of you are in a space where you're stuck because you're beholding an image of you that you see is you're never good enough. That has been spoken over your life and is what you hold. I will never be good enough. So I'm not going to try. I'm not even going to do anything. This is as good as it gets. Come on. Switch. You've got to shift. Because God has got so much more for you. Tonight we got upper room, and tonight's upper room is all about creating a space for you to behold. It's all about a space for you to just sit in that space if you want to sit, stand, raise your hands, kneel, whatever you want, and just worship. That's the beauty of worship. When you worship, the things of the world fade away. I love that old song. The things, let the things of the world just fade away. And when they fade, you begin to see more clearly 
the image that God is wanting you to see. So what are you seeing? I'm going to invite the band back up. We're just going to do a bridge, a chorus, and our time is running out. And after this, Pastor Beck will close. But why don't we stand this morning? I would love you to just ask yourself, ask God, what are you beholding? What are you seeing? What are you holding on to? What are you serving? And allow God to speak into your heart. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.